2 Corinthians chapter 13. So here we have Paul and concluding the second epistle to the church at Corinth here. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 for you. Follow along with you would as I read these verses. This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you, as if I were present the second time, and being absent, now I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other that, if I come, I will not spare. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification, and not to destruction." Well, the, 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 because we're talking about faith principles here, and the faith principle that we want to look at is verse 5 here. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. And so we want to see the context of this particular uh, statement that Paul makes right here. Again, he's making a statement that uh, is kind of a focal point of, of his argument right here because of the fact that, well, we'll talk about that in a second here. But let's have a word of prayer and ask the Spirit of God to help us in, in regard to this particular uh, uh, statement here. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We pray that you would help us even tonight as we look at these words, as we think about what Paul was bringing to the attention of the Corinthians here some of the factions that he was fighting or that were trying to fight him. And we trust that you'd help us to realize, Lord, what his words should mean, not only to them, but to us. And so, God, we pray that you would uh, take this facet of faith and, God, help us to be acquainted with it as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought about someone that you know, and perhaps even love, who claims to be saved, but you just don't see any real fruit in their lives? 
I mean, they complain about rules and they live a worldly lifestyle and have all the right answers when you approach them about or even confront them about their salvation. I mean, they can tell you the plan of salvation. They have all the answers. But when you look at their life, it's just like, <laughs> you know, you don't see anything of Christ in them. They have information perhaps up here, but it hasn't seemingly made a difference in their lives. And that's concerning to you. Um, now, how many of you just thought of someone in particular who fits that very description? Anybody here? Okay, a number of you have. Okay. Well, you know, I think Paul had similar suspicions back in his day. And uh, in this passage, he issues a challenge that we might be wise to answer, first of all, in our own heart, and, uh, and then perhaps even to pose this very same challenge to those people, perhaps the person that you just just came to your heart's attention just a moment ago when I asked that question. Maybe it's not just a person, maybe it's persons. Um, I can't think of a worst scenario for a person to die and wake up in hell, eternally separated from God. Especially a person who perhaps had a background growing up in church or in a Christian home, and yet somehow or another, they just missed it. Or they just never repented and never accepted Jesus Christ. And so, a little background here. Paul is telling the Corinthians that they need to be sure that those who have been sinning were properly dealt with. So back here, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Shall every word be established? I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent, now I write to them which heretofore have sinned. Okay, so he's basically referencing the fact that there was sin in the church and he has addressed the issue of sin and he's told them they needed to get this thing right. And, um, and, and so, uh, so right again, he's, he's telling them that this sin needs to be properly dealt with. And that's what he is talking about here. In this, again, this is the final words that he's writing here in this epistle. And he says, and... Uh, and, and he says unto all other that if I come again, I will not spare. And so, um, you know, one of the things that uh, people said about Paul is, you know, when he writes his letters, he's really weighty. You know what I mean? He's really, I mean, his letters are just kind of powerful. But when he comes, his very presence is kind of weak. And, uh, and he's not near as powerful when he comes in his presence as he is when he writes these letters. And so the Judaizers that were there in Corinth were kind of accusing him of this kind of stuff, you know. And so, uh, so he's encouraging them to take care of this matter before he comes so he doesn't have to. That's what he says basically in verse number two. He says, uh, you need to take care of this so I don't have to take care of this because when I come, I will take care of it. I'm going to address the issue. If you don't take care of it, I will take care of it. And of course, Paul wanted the church to be uh, blessed of God and he wanted the church to go on and not be cursed because you know sin was there and, and sin was basically thwarting the cause of Christ there. So the Judaizers had challenged Paul's authority. Uh, let Paul prove that Christ is speaking through him. Now, so basically they're saying, you know, you know, uh, who is Paul? I mean, what is, who does he think he is? Uh, look at verse number three. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, so the Judaizers that were there, 
basically are saying, you know, who does he think he is, you know? How do we know that Christ is speaking through him? How do we know that he has, you know, all of this authority that he is supposedly taking here? Um, of course, we know that Christ was. Uh, I should say that Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, and God called him, especially on the Damascus Road. He gave him that very mission. Paul was faithful in fulfilling that very mission. And yet... <laughs> Just because God gives you a, a mission doesn't mean everybody's going to give you that same liberty to do that in their lives. Truth of the matter is, is a lot of people don't want you to tell them what to do. And, and, and those who don't want to tell you what to, that, that, that you don't want you to tell them what to do, they're going to find fault. They're going to criticize you. They're going to say, who are you? And they're going to criticize you to other people. And they're going to try to tear down your authority. I mean, that's just human nature. And so that's precisely what's happening here in this context here, is they got Judaizers who are tearing down Paul's, Paul's authority and say, who does he think he is? You know, let, let him prove who, that, that Christ is the one that told him what to do. So this is what's taking place here. And so earlier, if you look back in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 through 11, uh, we won't go there, but basically this is where they're accusing him, saying, you know what, when he comes, he's just weak. He's not that strong. Uh, we talked about the very passage last week when Paul talks about, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so we found out that the way Paul operated ministry was not in the power of his personality, was not in the way that he was persuasive and able to uh, forge arguments and stuff like that. He did it in the power of the Spirit. But they perceived that as weakness, you see, because of the fact that Paul wasn't trying to be a salesman or wasn't trying to lay it on heavy and, and cause people through his personality, the strength of his personality, to turn to Christ. Paul was just like presenting the truth. And to them it appeared to be weakness. But then Paul says, you know what? Christ came in weakness. I mean, he allowed you to crucify him. I mean, he could have. He was all-powerful God, right? But they looked as Christ at Christ as being weak. But Paul says, you know what, he, he really wasn't. <laughs> yeah. This is for though he was crucified through weakness, in other words, he laid down his life. I mean, the one who basically said, peace be still, and the winds and the waves obeyed him, he went as a lamb dumb to the slaughter, right? He was the lamb of God who laid his life down for the Father's sake and for the sake of those of us who would have salvation through him. Yet he liveth by the power of God. Talking about Jesus Christ. Then Paul says, for we also are weak in him. Basically Paul's saying, you know, you accuse me of being weak because of the fact that when I show up, I'm not bringing about all this strong, you know, uh, uh, um, worldly means of trying to get you to persuade you. But that's what Christ did when he came. He wasn't trying to be all powerful. He came and he was meek. And... Uh, like he said, in a, he's meek and lowly in heart, right? And that's how Jesus Christ came. And Paul said, that's the way I came to you too. Now I can, I can be strong, I can be strong. But uh, I just want you to know that this is, we're doing this because this is how Christ came to you and that's how we came to you. And, uh, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So you can see there's an accusation going on here. Paul essentially tells them Christ made himself weak, but lives through the power of God and we're behaving like he did, same manner. Then comes the challenge, verse 5. He says, to examine yourselves. You're sitting here making these accusations, saying who's Paul, who what right does he have? You need to examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. And so it's a pretty powerful reproof or examination or challenge, if you would. Prove your own selves. 
Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. And so Paul is doing his best to help this church maintain a testimony of godliness. And there are some among them that are basically casting doubt about his authority and about what right he has to do this. Now, people don't want to change, and they often accuse those who tell them that they should. Paul's getting the very same thing. Then Paul says, you know, you're trying to examine my faith. You're trying to accuse me that my faith is perhaps out of line. Why don't you examine your faith and see if you are in the faith? You're wondering if God has sent me. I'm wondering if God is in you. And maybe you should examine your own faith whether you are in the faith. Huh. Examine yourselves. Sounds like pretty sound advice. You know, I don't think it's, I, you say, well, well, that's not for me. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, every one of us would do good to examine our own faith to make sure that we are in the faith. Again, like I said, the worst thing that could ever happen is for you to wake up on the other side of this life and find out that you were living in eternal death. That would be the most horrible thing that could ever happen. I mean, the most horrible thing that could ever happen for you to wake up in hell and be in hell forever. I mean, once you go to hell, there's no getting out. You know that, don't you? And so you, 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 you can play the game and fool the people here, but the truth of the matter is, so, uh, you know what? What have you gained? So what? You fool us. Who's the real fool? Yeah, the person who thinks they're fooling everybody else. Uh, you wake up in hell, and you're the real fool. You fooled yourself. And um, perhaps we'd do well if we would... Just ask ourselves questions. If, are we genuinely born again? You'll say, what kind of questions do I ask? Well, do you have evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your heart? Romans chapter 8 talks about that. And Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, verse, Romans chapter 8, verse number 16. Is the Holy Spirit really, do you have evidence that the Holy Spirit works in your life? Is working, has worked, has been working in your life? Listen, if you have no conviction about sin, if you can go about your way and do things that are completely contrary to the Word of God and feel absolutely no conviction from the Spirit, I would say examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Uh, there are some people that evidently they can go about and day after day, year after year, live completely contrary to the Word of God, and yet you talk about their salvation, and they'll give you, they'll tell you this line of salvation. And you're sitting there scratching your head go, this isn't making sense. How can this person know the plan of salvation, know how to go to heaven, and yet live like God and the Word of God doesn't even matter? How can that happen? Well, because they can have it up here, but not down here. You see? Um, how about, do you love the brethren? Now, man, if you just have a real problem with everybody, and you seem to hate everybody and have issues with everybody, well, um, you know, the Bible says one of the, one of the, uh, uh, I could say um, the hallmarks of discipleship is do you love the brethren? <laughs> do you love the people of God? Well, if you've always got issues with somebody and you can't seem to get along with anybody and, and you know, maybe you need to examine yourself. Are, are you really in the faith? Because you know what? When the Holy Spirit moves in, he's, he fills your heart with a love that you didn't have before. And it's a supernatural thing. It's not something you conjure up. It's something that, that God puts in your heart, you know? We look at the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, right, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If those things aren't present, you need to be asking yourself, is something wrong here? Did I, did I miss something along the line? Examine yourself. Are you in the faith? How about, uh, do, do you live righteously? 
I mean, is there a genuine righteous nature to your lifestyle? I'm not saying perfect. I'm saying, do you want to do the things of God? I mean, 1 John gives us some, you know, 1 John 2.29 tells us about that. I mean, are, are you really earnestly wanting to do right? I'm not saying that you're perfect. I'm saying, do you want right in your life? Do you want God's truth to guide your life? Um, are you separate from the world? Um, 1 John 5, 4 tells us that we need to be separate from the world. This is an indication that we have, that, 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 that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, that God has done a work. And again, the work's not done. It's a process, as we've said so many times. But if you, if you see no difference at all from the time of years ago from now, I would really, I would say examine your faith. What's, what's going on? Or what's not going on? And that's Paul's challenge. You're sitting here accusing me, and you're trying to defend sin in the church, and you're sitting there trying to bring issue with me. You know, you're trying to accuse me and say, you, who are you? And, and, and let me ask you a question, guys. Why don't you examine your own hearts to see if you're in the faith? And that's a good challenge for every one of us. Are we in the faith? How many churches are filled with critics who will one day hear God say, depart from me? I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you and then you, you, you got backslidden and you got out of the way. No, no. He said, I never knew you. Wow. So that means the game went on the whole time. It was a game the whole time. I never knew you. Wow. I remember a lady in the church one time that I attended who was, who was not at all afraid to criticize the pastor. I mean, she criticized anybody. She, I, I don't dare sit in her seat either. <laughs> you sit in her seat, buddy. You, you had a fight on your hands, you know. She'd come right up there and tap you on the shoulder and tell you, that's my seat. And she was kind of like the pillar of the church, so to speak. In other words, she'd been around for a long time, you know. Don't you sit in her seat. And, uh, but she's just a grump. <laughs> that's all there is to it. She's just a grump. And uh, she wasn't a lot of fun to be around. And, um, and not like that. She had some pretty strong feelings against black people. She did not like black people. She had a name for them that most people shouldn't use. And, uh, but that's just how she was. She was pretty adamant. And, uh, you know, so most of the people just kind of, you know, walked around her, you know what I mean? Just kind of stayed away from her, you know. When she got a little bit on the rampage, you know, they just kind of walked around her and just kind of put up with her. Then one day she got saved. I mean, I was there. I was at the front, and all of a sudden the pastor gave the invitation. And out of that aisle and down the aisle, she came with tears flowing down her face. And she told the pastor that she needed to get saved. Ah, okay, that makes sense now. What we saw for all those years was just... The flesh at work. I mean, because she didn't have the Spirit of God. So you can't expect the Spirit of God to flow from somebody who doesn't have the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, she got saved. And you know what? I think that needs to happen in many people's cases. I'm not saying you all. I'm just saying, well, if you're not saved, it needs to happen for you too. If I'm not saved, it needs to happen to me. But what I'm saying is, is that I think a lot of churches need that kind of revival to take place in their church. Stop playing games and get born again. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people just playing this game they call church.
And I think getting saved will change, well, not think, getting saved will change the whole thing. It'll change the whole issue. So we do well to examine ourselves before it's too late. What if that dear lady, what if that dear lady died? She would have been right smack in hell before she got saved. And she would have gone to hell from the, from the church pew. That's a sad thing, isn't it? I don't think it's uncommon, though. I think it's far more common than what most people would like to believe. So, this is not something you can do after you die. Change things while you can. Be honest. Examine your faith. If you're struggling, get help. But don't let your pride hold you back. Because your pride will stick you right where devil's pride is going to stick him one day. Eternally separated from God in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. So far too many have problems in the church caused by people who profess to be saved, but never knew Christ. Paul had those kind of people. I think this is who he was dealing with here. He said, you guys need to examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. So another faith concept, if you would, a faith principle that I think we do well to uh, say, don't let that be you. Don't let it be you. Well, let's go back to prayer and let's uh, take time to uh, let the Lord lead you as you pray through the rest of the list and however God